0: We're in verse 4, let's uh, pray together tonight and uh, we're going to be in verses 4 all the way to verse 11. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight and we do run to you, thank you that you are our Abba, Uh, you are our Papa, with respect and honor and great affection we declare that tonight, just the beauty of our relationship and How dynamic it is, God, because of all that you are to us. You are the becoming one, the one who is able and capable of meeting all of our needs sufficiently so that we can say with David the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And tonight we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and guide us, teach us tonight, we pray, in all truth. We do confess this evening our dependency upon your spirit to bring enlightenment and understanding in Jesus, your son. We ask that you would bring that revelation of him to our lives tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, as you look at your Bibles tonight, of course, beginning in verse one, uh, the Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ, we talked about that uh, a bit last week. Uh, in fact, if you read in the original Greek language, the first word of the Book of Revelation is "apocalypse," which is translated into our English word "revelation." But it is interesting that there's no definite article. Um, it is it is revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me say two things about that specifically as we begin our study. Number one. Um, it is exclusively, the book of Revelation is exclusively about Jesus Christ. I had mentioned to you how important it is to ensure that you keep Jesus the central as the central focus of your study. I mean, we're going to be talking about many different things, and um, of course, we're going to be looking at current events and uh, considering... Biblical issues in light of current events, but uh, we always do do that through the lens of Jesus Christ. This revelation is exclusive concerning him, but it is not comprehensive. So if you want to know all that there is to know about Jesus, of course, we need to be studying not just the book of Revelation, but we need to begin in Genesis and work our way through the scriptures because all the Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, That's what Jesus did when he was resurrected from the dead and he was walking with the two on the road uh, to Emmaus. You remember beginning in the law and all the way through the prophets, he declared all those things that the scripture said about him. And so I would encourage you to be a student of God's word. But what a privilege the apostle John had in receiving this very unique uh, apocalyptic revelation concerning Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to talk about some very specific things for us to consider so if you are taking notes tonight would encourage you to jot some of these things down let's begin in verse four the bible says john to the seven churches which are in asia grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne so Consider with me John's greeting tonight. John, of course, self-identifies. We discussed that um, at some length last week. There's really no question about who the author of this book is. We're not talking about John the Baptizer. We're talking about John the Apostle, one of the original 12. And uh, John is, has been uh, isolated, exiled on an island called Patmos. And here we see that he not only identifies himself as the author, but he also identifies those that he is writing to. He is writing to the seven churches which are in Asia. Um, if you just would for a second look over to verse eleven, we will get there tonight. But he identifies these churches by name: Ephesus, Smyrna, Thy Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Uh, now, of course, you know if you're a student of Scripture and of church history, you know there were more. seven churches in the province of Asia Minor at the time. When I say Asia Minor, we're talking about uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, These were letters not written to churches in China or in Thailand, but actual historical local churches. Um, And as I said, there were more than seven churches in this area, but there were seven specific churches that Jesus had a word for. I'm going to mention this to you a number of times. When we think about these churches, I want you to consider four specific things. Number one, uh, they were historical churches. So autonomous churches that were led by elders um, and uh, actual historical churches that Jesus had a very specific word for. In addition to that, I would suggest to you tonight that these churches are also representative of churches in not just the modern day era but also throughout church history so i do think that as you look at these seven churches they are typical they are typical of uh, all churches during all periods of church history Um, oftentimes what i'll do personally is i'll look through these seven letters and i'll use it as kind of a, a graph to plot where we are at as a church because we identify uh, oftentimes with one of these churches. And you know, maybe that can change over the course of time. The third thing I would encourage you to consider tonight as we think about these churches is they also do symbolize our spiritual condition as believers. So in addition to representing churches across the epochs of church history, in addition to that, I, I do believe as believers, as we're reading through these letters, we can find ourselves identifying with uh, one of these churches. And like I said, that may change over the course of time, but we're going to consider, you know, say, for instance, Ephesus to begin, the church that had many good works, but they had left their first love. Or you think about Smyrna, the persecuted church. Um, or Laodicea, which is probably the most notorious of all of the churches, the lukewarm church. Uh, Philadelphia, the missions minded church. You know, you can read through these letters and you'll find yourself identifying as a believer, as a Christian. Uh, with one of these churches. And then finally, if that wasn't enough, I would say to you tonight that there are some commentators who do believe that these churches represent epics, epochs of church history chronologically. So from Ephesus all the way to the final church, Laodicea, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of lay out the time frame for you on this. These particular churches do line up Uh, With the progression of church history over the course of 2,000 years, of course, knowing that the last uh, church in the church age is the church of Laodicea, and the church during uh, that final age of church history is going to be a church that is, in some sense, apostate or lukewarm. And so, you know, as we read through uh, the seven letters, we'll get there probably in about six months. No, I'm just kidding somewhere in that era, area, you know, uh, just consider those things. Uh, he says, uh, because of course we know that uh, this is a letter that's been given to him. Remember the progression from the father to the son through an angel, angelos, messenger to John the servant. Uh, and so of course this is a letter from the father. Therefore, absolutely adequate for John to say grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So Kind of the Siamese twins, this is how they're considered of all of the greetings in the epistles. Um, of course, this is considered apocalyptic literature, not necessarily uh, you know, in the same vein as an epistle. Nevertheless, this is oftentimes the greetings in these letters. Grace, uh, charis in the Greek, the Greek greeting if you were in the community of Greek people. And then peace, shalom, of course of course, is the Hebrew greeting as well. And so these two are kind of Siamese twins and their significance to them. I've mentioned this a number of times uh, and I'll mention it again. Uh, grace comes from God. And we ha- when we have the grace that comes from God, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving, this is what God gives to us. We're children of God Uh, We have an amazing heavenly inheritance. We have the gift of everlasting life. All of that is a function of God's grace and not our works. Somebody can say amen to that tonight because that is good news. God's not just rewarding you uh, or reinforcing you positively because you've been a good boy or a good girl. You've had a great day, so you get the gift of life That's not the way the gospel works. That certainly is not the message of the gospel. No, it is an unmerited gift that comes from God. Salvation is because it was secured through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We'll talk about that in just a couple of verses. And when you receive the grace of God, you now have peace with God. You say, Pastor, I was never at war with God in the first place. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. You were a a child of wrath. You were a son or a daughter of disobedience. You lived under the prince of the power of the air. You were a child of the devil. Thank you for coming to church tonight. That's just the truth. But you, when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you were born again into the kingdom of God. You were conveyed out of the kingdom of darkness. Hey, listen, maybe you came in tonight and you're like, I don't really have a lot to worship God for. Well, if you're a Christian tonight, you're not going to hell. And I think that is a lot. To worship the Lord for, amen? You have peace with God and you have the peace that comes from God. Just consider, consider John's greeting tonight, you know, easy words for us just to move over to get to the meaty stuff of the book of Revelation, but these are beautiful words. The second thing I would consider you, encourage you to consider tonight is the Trinity, Um, as John expresses this faithfully, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, that is the Father, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. I'll explain this in a minute. Many people believe this to be the Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. The second thing I would encourage you to consider tonight is just the obvious uh, expression of the Trinity, that we worship one God who is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is clear that this was the position of the Apostle John in the early church, that the Trinity was the truth concerning God, the Father, the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is the all-eternal, self-sustaining God. He is ultimate reality. He is the one who has existed before time ever began, and he, he is the one who will transcend, ultimately, time itself, past, present, and future. Tonight, if you've come in and you've been worrying about a particular piece of your past, I just want to remind you that you worship and serve a God who is the Lord over your past. Maybe today you've come in and you've been concerned about some issue in the future that you don't have control over, and the truth is this, tonight you're all worried and you're tied up in knots because you don't know what's coming your way and what might happen to you. I want to remind you today, he is not only the God of your past, you are not defined by your past anymore, you're defined by the cross of Christ, he is also the God of your future He has your future in his hands. Nothing comes your way that hasn't first been filtered through the loving hand of God. So you don't have to be all tied up in knots. You don't have to be concerned about what might be coming around the corner. You don't have to, I'm not saying these aren't significant issues, but you don't have to be all worried about the next strain of the virus or the next protocol that you have to follow because God is sitting on his eternal throne and he has all things under control. He is the God of the past. He is the God of your future. He is also the God of your present. He is with you in the now. You're not alone. You've not been abandoned. Uh, You've not been just left to the circumstances in your life. Jesus said to his disciples, even though you go to the ends of the earth, I will, always le- I will always be with you. I will never forsake you. Tonight, you're not alone. You are with the Lord, and the Lord, better news even than that, the Lord is with you. So number one, he is the eternal self-sustaining God. He is unchanging. Number two, the second person of the triune Godhead mentioned here is the Holy Spirit. He frames it like this, and this is kind of a very unique way... Of speaking about the Holy Spirit. And there is some controversy over whether or not this does really refer to the Spirit of God. But the Bible says, and from the seven spirits, most likely uh, in your translation, the word spirits is capitalized, who are before his throne. Um, some people refer to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And I want you just to hang a left to the book of Isaiah. Turn there with me tonight. Scroll on your phone, whatever. I'm actually making you turn in your Bibles. Can you imagine that? Well, it is is—it is old school. We need to go back to old school. Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verse 1. You know, I'll, I mentioned this, I think, last week, and I just want to say it again, that the number seven really represents completion in Scripture. So when you when you see the number seven, there is a, it is symbolic of completion. Three is perfection, eight is new beginning, seven is completion. And so it's possible as we're looking at uh, this description of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the different qualities or attributes of the Spirit of God in all of his completeness. And we're talking about here in verse one of chapter 11, how the Holy Spirit will in fact be anointing the coming Messiah, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and as a branch shall grow out of his roots, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So number one, is this, he is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So there are three couplets of description that are mentioned concerning the Holy Spirit, He is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is the spirit of counsel and might. He is the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Listen, if you are deficient in any of those areas, which of course we all are, I would encourage all of us to look to the Holy Spirit. And the seventh thing would be this, he is the spirit of the Lord. So possibly um, when, when John says the seven spirits of God, it is unique language, it's never used of any other heavenly being. We're talking about the Spirit of God in His perfect completion. Uh, The third thing that we see, of course, is the second person of the triune Godhead, a little out of our normal order. And He says it like this concerning Jesus. And from Jesus Christ, Yeshua Christos, all right, that is uh, Yeshua means, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew name means God is salvation. And Christos is the Greek word for the hebrew word messiah the anointed one the chosen one he is so let me say it like this he is god our salvation the the anointed the anointed of the father who redeemed humanity he is the faithful witness Um, and what was he a faithful witness of he was a faithful witness of the father in fact john said it like this in john chapter 1 verse 18 no one has seen god at any time The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So if you want to know the father, what you need to do is you need to look to the revelation of the son. And this, of course, is exactly what Jesus said to Philip uh, when they were in the upper room, room, excuse me, and they were struggling over some of the things that Jesus was talking about, departing from them. And one of the things that Philip said to Jesus was, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And and Jesus said to Philip, do you remember what he said? Have I been with you for so long, Philip, that you've not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. This was the testimony of the Son, the revelation of the Father. He is also the firstborn from the dead, possibly meaning two things, uh, The Greek word is prototokos. So it can either mean that he is the first one to physically die and then to be raised from the dead physically to ascend to the Father. And in this, he is uh, the token, not in a demeaning way, but he is the token, the realization that we will follow in like manner, will be raised in like manner as the Son, though we, apart from the rapture, are going to die physically, if we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we will experience a physical resurrection from the dead and we will live with God forever. We know that that's the case because he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the forerunner. He is the one who has gone before us and he has paved the way to the Father. So possibly that's what John is saying here. It is also possible that he's talking about preeminence He is talking about preeminence because, of course, in that culture, at that time, when you're talking about the firstborn, you're talking about the one who has preeminence above all other. And Jesus absolutely has the preeminence. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will be exalted and worshiped for all of eternity in fact, the Bible says that in the center of the heavenly city is God and the Lamb. And there is no need for light because God and the Lamb are the light of the new Jerusalem that ascends down from heaven. He is also, if that wasn't enough, you've got reason to worship tonight. He is also the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is the, he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. There's no one greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in Revelation chapter 19, we're gonna see that he has a name written on his thigh. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And then Paul put it like this as he was wrapping up his epistle to Timothy, his first epistle, with this beautiful doxology. He says, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's where I pause for you to give exclamation and praise to the Lord in worship. Just a beautiful, beautiful description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider, secondly tonight, the Trinity. Third, I would c- encourage you to consider worship. Uh, he begins now uh, a parenthetical phrase here right in the middle of verse 5. So this is a parenthetical phrase. It's an expression of worship. Look, I don't know. I don't obviously know what it's like to be inspired to write uh, you know, a, a, a book of the Bible. And if I ever said to you that I did, it would be high time for you to bail as quick from this church as you possibly could. Anybody that says to you that they operate under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the same sense as the apostles and the writers of the canon of Scripture is absolutely 100% totally a heretic Please never forget that. You heard it first right here at Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. And you might be thinking, well, that's absurd, isn't it? Ask the Mormons, okay? Ask the Mormons because they, Joseph Smith, you know, had this idea that he was, he was inspired by God to add to the canon of scripture. Uh, there are certain strains within Pentecostalism that take the gift of prophecy and they say that That their gift of prophecy, three different levels, and the operation of that gift of prophecy in the third level is the highest level when someone receives a rema word that is on the same level as the canon of Scripture that is absolutely false. There is a strong exhortation in the word. We will get to it soon. It is a reiteration of what was said in Deuteronomy that whoever adds or takes away from the words of Scripture will be cursed. And so, hey, listen, let's just keep it simple. Let's keep it to the Word of God. A beautiful doxology here, an expression of worship, like I was saying before I got sidetracked. I don't know what it's like to be inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit, but, but I do sense this. I don't want to read into the Scriptures tonight, but I do sense that there were times where the authors to these books, as the Spirit of God was speaking to them just had to stop with an expression of worship. Like you see it in Paul's epistles. Like he starts, he's downloading, the, the Lord is downloading to Paul and Paul just like breaks and unleashes an ex, in an expression of worship to God. And I think in a similar way as John is just reviewing the beauty of the Trinity and piece by piece, this revelation is coming about the person of Jesus Christ, he just right in the middle, I'm not saying that Paul said, or excuse me, John said, John Revelation chapter one, verse five, because there were no verses when John was writing, but he just all of a sudden breaks into worship. Has that ever happened to you before? I mean, not when you were writing scripture, (laughs) but has it ever happened to you before when you've just been in the middle of something, maybe in the middle of your devotional time or, or, you know, you're just reading your Bible or, um, you know, you're you're driving to work. You're driving to work, and all of a sudden, God speaks to you, and it's like just so amazingly powerful. You just you you break out. You break out in worship, maybe in such a crazy way that people around you are like, "Man, what have you lost? Have you completely, totally lost your mind?" Uh, I remember one time when I was uh, years ago. I was on staff here for the very first time. I was leaving a meeting. And uh, I was doing the deposit for the weekend's tithes and offerings. And so I'm driving to the bank with a deposit, and God was speaking to me so powerfully. I literally had to pull over on the side of the road, and I just, was, I just raised my hands in praise as God was speaking to me about planting a church in New England. It was so evidently the hand of God on my life. You know, I just had to stop and, and give him praise, give him worship. Hey, it's okay, I know you don't need uh, my permission to do this, but I want to encourage you uh, to do just to stop when the Spirit of God is moving in your life like that. And you know it is uh, undeniably a a, a revelation, a beautiful personal revelation that God is giving to you of himself. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed regardless of where you're, you're at. I'm sure there were many people driving down Sahara Boulevard Seeing this wacko guy in a black Toyota Camry with his hands raised doing some bizarre thing. And they thought, man, what a, what a, what a weirdo. But it's okay to be a weirdo for Jesus. All right? You can raise your hands in praise. Uh, <laughs> listen, if the car is moving or you're riding a motorcycle, I would just encourage you to, to park first. But you can, you can break out in praise. You can break out in praise at work. I, I'm not saying you need, a, need to be a nut job for the Lord, but I am saying to you, hey, when, when he speaks to you, he is worthy of spontaneous worship. All right? All right. Now that we've settled that, all right, he says to him, that is Jesus, who loved us, agape. This is uh, in the past tense and the, the expression here, Uh, by this verb is he demonstrated his love for us in such a way that we never have to question it again. He's demonstrated his love for us in such a way once and for all, right? Even if he never did another thing for us, he loved us. It is settled. Tonight you might be rolling in here and you might be thinking, man, God, when's the last time you loved me? When's the last time you loved me? When's the last time you did some good thing for me? And I would say, the cross, the cross. Look, we can look, we can consider the love of God demonstrated on the cross of Christ and never question his love for us again. It was a full demonstration of the love of God for you and for me. He says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know, what a... What a personal expression this is of um, John the Apostle to these particular churches, to him who loved us. How do we know that he loved us? Well, like I said, the cross. What did, he, what did he do on the cross? He died as a sacrifice for our sins. It's the great substitution. He died in our place. His life was given. He experienced death for us so that we could enjoy eternal life that comes from him. We were washed The word means to be loosed from dirt, the dirt of sin, sin, iniquity, and trespass. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none who are righteous, no, not one. We are all in the same boat. There are none who seek after God. The Bible says we are all confined under sin. This is the purpose of the law, not to establish our righteousness, but that all mouths should be silent before him because none of us will be able to declare to God how good we were and somehow think that our efforts merit a relationship with him or everlasting life. No, we need to be washed. We need to be loosed from the filth of our sin, and this is precisely what the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is able to to do. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you as white as snow. I will make you like as white as wool. John says in his first epistle, if we sin, we can confess our sin. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul, when he was speaking to the elders of Ephesus, he had this beautiful moment with them where he encouraged them to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Listen, what is the the cost of our salvation? It may be a free gift for us in that we don't earn it, we don't work for it. He worked for it for us. He has forgiven us of our sins. What a beautiful demonstration uh, of his love. In addition to that, he says in verse six, and has made us kings and priests to his God and father. So the power of his blood, not only able to loose you from your sin tonight, what sin are you struggling with? Be faithful to go and to confess it to the father through faith in the son and he will forgive you. But also notice that he has made all of us collectively kings and priests. This was the, in Luther's mind, this was uh, uh, revolutionary. Because, of course, during the age of Luther, uh, being a priest, having a, a position within the church was reserved for a particular group of people. You know, there was this idea that the Levitical priesthood was being carried on in the Roman Catholic Church by the priesthood that had been ordained by the bishops and the archbishops and by the Pope. But Luther had this amazing experience with God where he recognized once again that the priesthood of believers is not just reserved for those who may serve God in some vocation. It is something that he does to all of us when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You are tonight, if you believed in Jesus, You are a king and a priest to God who is your father. Are you serving him tonight? He goes on to say, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then he punctuates it uh, with the word amen, which simply means so be it. Verse 7. The next thing I'd encourage you to consider uh, are three things about his coming. Behold, he is coming. Did you know that he's coming? Did you know, are you excited about his coming? Are you anticipating his coming? Do you want his coming? You say, man, the pastor of the world is just so difficult. It's so hard. It's so messed up. Well, guess what? All of that is intended by God to incentivize you to long for the coming of Jesus Christ because brother and sister, you are made for another world. You are made for another world. You're like, why, do, why is it that I don't feel like I fit in this world? Well, because says we're talking like hillbillies tonight. Because, because, because you're made for another world. You're made for another world. You put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you just don't fit here any longer. You are a special people, the Bible says. Y'all, real special. Let me tell you that tonight. (laughs) Like, really special. You are a special people that should be zealous for good works, And he has fitted you for for heaven. You don't fit here any longer. And you know that as the world becomes a more difficult place to live, that that should instill within you a greater longing and anticipation for the return of our Lord. Behold, the word means pay attention. The Bible says, lift your eyes to the heavens for your redemption draws near." You are closer to the return of the Lord than at any other period in church history. You've been blessed to live in these days. So stop complaining. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Stop saying, God, why me? Why now? Well, because he loves you. That's why. Because he's blessed you to live in a time such as this, where we can have an excitement concerning his coming. Of course, we're going to be considering all sorts of uh, different prophecies that point to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider these three, three things about his coming. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Number one, his coming will be in power. It will be in power. He is the almighty He is the almighty God, Jesus is, who comes with the clouds. Now, clouds, of course, consistently throughout the Old Testament represent the presence of God. So that represents, when we say clouds, we're talking about his glory and his power. In addition to that, we also know that clouds represent people. And when Jesus comes again, he will be coming with his people. The rapture, he will come for his people. The second coming, he will come With his people. I would encourage you uh, later on to check out Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, which is a beautiful uh, exclamation concerning the coming of Jesus Christ, and then also Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. It is undeniable, he will come in power. His coming will be global. The Bible says, uh, in addition to coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. So the second thing is this, his second coming, right? The rapture is going to be, in a sense, secretive. This is going to be a, a global revelation. Every eye will see him. The second coming of Jesus Christ will be global, but not just for all the nations who have gone through the tribulation period, not just for all the nations to see, but particularly for the nation of Israel and I do believe that's what John means when he says, even they who pierced him. This is a, a reference to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. In fact, it is almost verbatim. You can check that out later yourself. Uh, the nation of Israel existing at that time will be representative of the whole nation, and they will see that Jesus, Yeshua, is in fact. The Messiah. The third thing that we see here concerning his coming is this, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why is it that there will be mourning? Well, because at this point in time, there will be a global rejection of the God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, people will know, it will be undeniable, that these that this great tribulation with all of its characteristics it will be evident that it in fact comes from god that these are not just natural calamities or natural disasters um, but the heart of humanity will be so hardened during the great tribulation the bible says that instead of turning to god in repentance and faith those living on the face of the earth will blaspheme god that's why there will be a morning And listen, when he comes back again, for those who have rejected the gospel, there will be no turning back. There will be no turning back, which is why that morning will be so intense. You know, it's just a reminder tonight that God is gracious to give us opportunity to turn our hearts to him, but never presume upon the graciousness of God. Never presume upon the graciousness of God. You know, before God wiped the world out with a global deluge. The Bible said, says that the spirit of God will not always strive with man. It is the heart of God that people turn in repentance. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. The Bible says it's God's long suffering that draws us to repentance. That simply means that God gives us time after time after time, opportunity upon opportunity. But you know we can hit that point in time where our opportunities To repent, dry up. And that is going to be the case at the second coming of Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, what do I learn from that? This is what we learn. And Jesus said this to the church at Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock, therefore be zealous to repent. Therefore be zealous to repent. I'm knocking, but don't think my knocking is going to last forever. The opportunity is given to you, but don't think that that opportunity is going to be given to you forever. Be zealous. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, listen, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't postpone. Don't wait. Don't continue to justify sin. Don't say, well, listen, you know, I'll get right with God. I'll I'll, I'll probably, most likely, have an opportunity to really give my life to him down the road, on my deathbed, you know, like so many other people do. Really? Really? Are you in that much control of your life that you think that you can even dictate what's gonna happen in five minutes from now or 10 minutes or 20 minutes from now? You know, every gathering, we have the opportunity, we provide the opportunity because it's the heart of God to respond to the revelation that God gives and I think it's easy for us to say, well, maybe next week. But that is, not, that is not the message that we learn from the end of the tribulation period. What we learn is that we need to be zealous to repent as the spirit of God is speaking to us. Hey, listen, what has he been? Can I just meddle with your life for a second? Yeah, okay. What, is, what, is he, what has he been speaking to you? What has he been convicting you of? Look, I I have my things. My heart is open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I need the Spirit of God to convict me every single day, and I want to hear what he has to say. I want to hear his real, sincere evaluation of my life because I know that my heart is prone to wander. I need it tethered to the heart of God. But what has he been speaking to you about? What areas has he been calling you to lay down as an expression of worship so that you can live out? You shall have no other gods before me. I want to encourage you tonight. We learn from how painful this coming is going to be for some during the great tribulation period. The Bible says in verse eight, the next thing for you to consider is that Jesus Christ is the great I am. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Now, most likely in your translation, uh, these letters, if you have a red-letter Bible, these letters are in red. I do believe this is Jesus speaking. He is the only person in the triune Godhead that is speaking in a tangible way to uh, the apostle John. So when he makes this declaration, he is saying to us that he, is the, he in fact, is the eternal one. Um, and we know, as Colossians says in ch- chapter 2, verse 9, for in him that is in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily he is the unchanging one the one who is and who was and who is to come he is the almighty god this is a this is an expression a name that you're going to see concerning jesus that occurs multiple times in the book of uh, revelation uh is the greek word it means that he is all powerful it means that there is no one higher nine of the ten times that this word is used it is used in the book of revelation And I just would encourage you tonight that the Jesus, the one that you worship, he, in fact, is the Almighty God. Verse 9 says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The next thing I would encourage you to consider is the condition that John was in. John, you know, so humble, right? So self-effacing uh really did view himself as just on the same level as every other believer that was in the church. John doesn't say, hey, um, I, John, you know, the one who rules over you. I, John, the one that you all should be esteeming and looking up to. I, John, the celebrity apostle, the, the only one that's left of, of the original 12 apostles in the church. John doesn't say any of that, right? I mean, he's self-effacing. He's not drawing attention To himself, man, how deeply do we need this in the current Christian culture, the current narcissistic Christian culture of America, where we have such a tendency to evaluate Christian leaders with worldly criteria. And even as Christians set up our own standards and hierarchies based upon the performance of leaders from a worldly mindset that was so anti-biblical during John's era it was so not Jesus like you know John as he as he identifies himself i think this came naturally to him and this is how he saw Jesus live his life i john both your brother and companion hey listen that's that's what i am i'm your bro hey i'm john your bro and I'm not just your bro, I'm your companion. Like we are journeying together in our relationship with God. We're journeying through tribulation. There's difficulty that we together collectively are enduring. Um, we are kingdom focused. We're people who are kingdom minded. There's one kingdom that we desire to see. Advanced on this earth. It's not our kingdom. It is not a political kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. And we are patient. It's the patience of Jesus Christ. We have an anticipation for his imminent return, but we are going to patiently wait for him. I love that about the Apostle John and how he represents himself to the people. Um, He identifies the place that he is at. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but he was on the island of Patmos. Um, Church historians, in fact, uh, Victorinus, who wrote the first commentary on the book of Revelation, I think in the third or second century, said that the apostle John was uh, working in the mines while he was on the island of Patmos uh, as a slave. And then Irenaeus and Eusebius and Clement all said that John ultimately was released in 96 AD when uh, Caesar, Domitian, died, and uh, Nera took his place. And so 96 AD, John had been previously before that pastoring there at the church of Ephesus. God was doing a mighty work. Like I said, he was exiled by uh, the Roman government to the island of Patmos. But then when he was released, he went back to the church at Ephesus. Uh, and of course, he was there for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is worthwhile to suffer persecution for the word of God. The final thing I want to encourage you uh, to consider tonight is the timing of this. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a, of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. A reiteration of verse 8. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So what was John doing? Now, I'll just say to you that uh, there are a variety of opinions uh, as to what it means when John says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I think that when the Bible says that he was in the Spirit, I think that is simply saying that he was in communion with the Father. He was in communion with the Father. He was operating in the Spirit. There are those who say, well, John really is referring to the vision that the Holy Spirit gave to him. So it wasn't as if this was a normal com- communion in a spiritual sense with God. This was a unique work that the Spirit of God was doing in the life of John. No, I think, that, I think this simply means that in the midst of his tribulation and difficulty, while he was probably working the minds... What was John doing? He was communing with the Father. And I think that's encouraging for us tonight because you know there are times where we think, you know what, it's just too hard to commune with God. Pastor, you don't know how difficult my work is. You know, it's like working in a mine. It's like servitude. It's like being enslaved. It's really hard. And I would just say to you tonight, if John can be in the spirit communing with the Father while he was exiled on the island of Patmos working as a slave in the mines, then you probably can as well. And he was communing with the Father. You know, we're, we're just so funny. We have to have everything right. Pastor, you know, I really wanted to fellowship with God at church, but, you, you know, the air conditioner wasn't working, and, and, um, and it was a little hot. Can you have somebody fix that? Pastor, you know, I, I really wanted to fellowship, but all these people were getting up and down during the service, and they were just a total distraction. Can you talk to, can you talk to the deacons about that? Can you fix that, Pastor? You know what? I really wanted to worship, but I just don't like, I don't like the color of the uh, new worship center, and I really want to commune with God, but I just have to say this is really interrupting my communion. And I think, man, how soft have we become in the church? How soft have we become? You know, I was talking with someone the other day, and uh, you know, they live in a very remote place, and people have to take either a bus or walk. To the Sunday morning gatherings, and some of them walk for as many or as long as two hours just to get to church. And you know, we can be like, "Well, there's a lot of traffic, and I don't really feel like it today. And waffles sound really good. And and you know, as I got it virtual anyhow, and I can just stay in my jammies, and I really don't want to see anybody anyhow. We are just so soft. We are just so soft. And if I can just really make us feel worse tonight, <laughs> you know, before we start pointing our fingers and criticizing the, criticizing the unrighteous, unsaved, ungodly people around us for the woes that our culture is going through, we need to remember that judgment begins in the house of the Lord hey, maybe things are as tough as they are in our country because we are just soft Christians who are willing to lay down for absolutely anything, right? I, we need to toughen up. We need to toughen up. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, difference of opinion on this, um, some say, well, this was Sunday. You know, this was the Lord's day. It was the day of commemorating uh, the resurrection. Some say, well, the Lord's Day is a phrase doesn't ever really refer to a Sunday. I do think that it does, and I think, it's my opinion, you know, take it for what it's worth, that it was a Sunday that, that John was communing with the Father. And you know, he didn't have, he didn't have a physical church to go to. He didn't have a, uh, a group of people greeting him when he walked in. He didn't have a worship team leading him in worship. He didn't have a comfy seat to sit in. What did John have? He had himself and God. That's what he had. And yet, in spite of that, he was able to not only commune with the Father because his heart was open, because he was unwilling to miss the opportunity, because God had the fullness of his attention. There was a beautiful, beautiful revelation that the Father gave to John. How much do we miss? How much do we miss? Because we stumble over the simplest things. If our hearts were just open to God and willing to receive no matter what, how fuller would his revelation on a daily basis be to us? Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the book of Revelation and thank you for... The example of John, and it's not just what we learn through his life, and we do learn, but what he said about your son tonight is so encouraging, Father. It's so encouraging, it's so strengthening to him who loved us and washed us in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. To you, O God, Father, we thank you tonight for all that has been done for us. And we're reminded tonight of what the Apostle Paul said, that when, as one has died for all, then all have died for the one. We die to ourselves that we might live to him. And we know we're not made for this world. We're we're shaped by your spirit for another world, for an eternal world. I pray today that we would not be caught up and consumed in this temporal world that we live in. But I also pray, God, that you would use our lives to influence like salt and light in these last days. Make us strong, oh God. Make us strong. Help us, Father, not to be weak, not to be soft, I pray that there would just be a spiritual edge to us that would be sharp. I pray, God, that the truth of your word would be upon our lips. And I pray that our hearts would be filled with grace and love. In these last days, in these final moments, as this epoch or era of time is wrapping up, God, we ask for a mighty, unparalleled outpouring of your Holy Spirit. That is the desire of our hearts. Tonight, uh, I wanna encourage you with two things. First is this, maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Tonight is the night. Now is the time. This is your moment. It has been the grace of God To speak to you tonight. To give you revelation. To challenge your heart. To lovingly convict you. To show you that yes, in fact, there are sins in your life that need to be forgiven. And you'll never be able to work your way into God's favor. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for me. This is why the Father had to send the Son who died on the cross in our place, whose blood was shed as a sacrifice so that tonight, as you say yes to Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sins, you can be loosed from your failures, you can have the burden lifted, you can have the shame addressed in your life. God can take the cloud of darkness that has been covering your life and he can pour out His holy and divine healing light upon your heart. Will you say yes to him tonight? And maybe the truth is this. You've been resisting. You've been kicking this can down the road. You've been presuming upon another opportunity. There's no guarantee. There is no guarantee tonight that you'll have another opportunity. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Will you say yes to Jesus Christ and tonight receive Him as your Lord and Savior? Tonight, as a Christian, maybe the Spirit of God has been convicting you, lovingly convicting you. Thank God for the conviction of His Spirit in our lives. And yet maybe there's been a resistance. Maybe there's been a resistance in your life for whatever reason. Tonight you've been... He's been knocking on the door of your heart, but you have have refused to open. He says, tonight to you, be zealous. Be zealous. In the moment, as I'm speaking, Jesus says to you, repent, turn to me. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you as white, as newly driven snow. Tonight, if this is you, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Maybe you tonight as a Christian just need to lay down some sin. This evening, I want to pray for you right where you're sitting. Would you raise your hand tonight if God is speaking to you and calling you to take that step of faith? God bless you here on my left, in the center, over here on my right. God bless you in the back, on my right, here in the front, in the back. God bless you. Thank you. Over here on my left, God loves you guys. He is so present. He is so present right now, and the arms of Christ are wide open. His heart is not condemnation to you. His heart is love and acceptance. Anybody else? Father, thank you so much for these precious, beautiful lives. Oh God, we are grateful for the moving of your spirit tonight and that you draw with bands of love heart to yourself, hearts to yourself. We pray tonight as these take a step of faith that you would just richly bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together tonight. Listen, I want to encourage you this evening. If you raised your hand, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer tonight. It's good that I prayed for you, but but really tonight you know that God wants a relationship with you, not through a pastor, not through a church or some religious organization. He wants a relationship with you. The Father does through faith in His Son. God cares about your heart. God wants to hear your voice. He's led you to this moment this evening, and so tonight I want to lead you, if you raise your hand, in a very simple prayer of confession, confessing to God that you've sinned, uh, a confession of faith, trusting in Christ, believing that through faith in Him you can be forgiven and renewed in relationship with God, and tonight to receive the new beginning, the new thing that God desires to do in your life. The Bible says, God speaking, behold, I do a new thing there is a new thing that God desires to do in your life. And so as our worship team leads us tonight in a song of worship, if you raise your hand, I just want to encourage you, make your way down to the front, stand next to one of our follow-up leaders this evening so I can lead you in this simple prayer. If you raise your hand, come on down right now. Let me lead you in prayer.
1: Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, You're worthy of every breath that we could ever breathe. We live for you, Lord, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none besides you open up my eyes in wonder show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me
0: awesome i'm gonna lead you in prayer tonight so grateful for the step of faith that you have taken As you're stepping towards God, listen, He has initiated this moment. You're responding to Him. But I want to encourage you as He is initiated, He is going to be faithful to see this moment through in your life. And so tonight, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm going to encourage you this evening to bow your head and close your eyes with me and repeat this prayer out loud. It's not a magic combination of words, but you're praying the gospel. You're receiving by faith the gift of salvation, forgiveness, healing that God has for you. And so pray this with me tonight. God, thank you for speaking to me. Oh God, I've heard and tonight I obey. Coming to you in faith, trusting in Jesus, your son, receiving your forgiveness, receiving your healing, laying down my sin, and choosing to walk with you. Tonight, I pray that you would give me a new beginning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Awesome. God bless you all. We're so excited for you.